Welcome to TV with Friends. My name is Chelsea, and I am with my best friend in the entire world. Hi, Evan. Hi. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's been a crazy year, and we are in the first week of January. And tonight, we are going to be saying goodbye to Watchmen, talking about the finale. Um, but before then, I thought that maybe we could just kind of reflect on this year. Um, we were just dumped on with amazing content, I think, all year long. I don't think there really was a lull in this TV season. It was just a great fucking year. Um, so let's talk about our favorite show um, or and our favorite movie that we saw in 2019. I can go first if you need a minute to brainstorm. For favorite movie or TV show, which one are we doing first? TV show. Okay, you go first. Okay, so, I mean, this year it was just a, a lot of my favorite shows came back. Um, Atlanta had an amazing second season earlier in the year. Fleabag came back this summer. Uh, Succession was great. Uh, a show that I did not get into last year that I just recently got into, um, but just totally proves me wrong and turned turned out to be a really exciting, epic, well-written, well-acted show. Um, two of their cast members just won the Golden Globe tonight, so that's awesome. But yeah, Succession was one of definitely one of my favorites. But I want to say personal, personal favorites for this year that stood out to me the most was Fosse Verdon. Um, it's an amazing limited series on FX about Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon. They're... Uh, their time uh, as stars and directors making Cabaret and Chicago um, and about their marriage and their daughter. And uh, he is just both Sam, Ra Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams, who also won a Golden Globe tonight, just amazing performances. And I know, I know you haven't watched that one yet um, and you're hope hopefully planning to soon. Um, but that was just a really awesome, fun show. There's so much performance in it, uh, not just from like the acting, but the dancing and what it is like to be a dancer, to be a Broadway star. It was just so good. And then one that we got that is still running into 2020 right now, that's my personal favorite is Servant, which is one of the uh, newer shows on Apple Plus Network. And it is produced by M. Night Shyamalan. And it's about a very well-to-do couple in Philadelphia who just hired a nanny um, for their baby. And in the, no spoilers, but in the first season or the first season, the first episode, um, we find out that that baby is not real. It is a doll that's meant to look like a baby. And so there's just a lot of mystery in what happened to their baby, how they're playing along with this, you know, new baby and the nanny they hire is very peculiar. It is very mysterious. It's very well done. And I love M. Night Shyamalan. So I'm, of course, all for it. You started watching it. So you're not um, quite, I don't, I think you're about an episode behind me. But yeah, but it was, it is just amazing. Really, really good acting and very creepy, very suspenseful, very mind bending thriller. And we've got two episodes before uh, the season is done. Um, and M. Night Shyamalan has stated publicly that he's going to make five seasons out of it. So we will for sure be, you know, 
covering that in the podcast this year. But yeah, I think Ser- Servant and Fosse Verdon were definitely my my personal favorites. What were you thinking for your show? Uh, you know, I have, since my tastes are, are kind of on par with yours, but also very different at that time. Sure. I mean, it's like, you know, my favorite show is probably, probably my favorite show of the year would probably have to have been um, the kind of different look at teenage life that was offered to us through Euphoria. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it was, it was, you know, it was very um, LGBTQ focused and mm-hmm. centric, and there was, you know, that that's always going to tend to attract me to uh, different shows. So, just the way that, that it was filmed and the acting from oh. Tim Dott and the young lady that played her opposite in the show, whose name I cannot recall at the current moment. Uh, Hunter uh, Schaefer. What was it? Hunter Schaefer plays Jules. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 And it was it was a great representation, I thought, of you know, particularly um, transgender mm-hmm. uh, individuals when it comes to TV because you don't get to see that very often. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, I really, really love my comic book shows. Yes. And I got to close out the year with the big crossover that they always do for the CW and it's The Flash and it's Arrow and it's Legends of Tomorrow mm-hmm. and. This one was a bit different because it was called Crisis on Infinite Earths, and what they did with it was kind of recognize every different comic book show that has ever been done. Interesting. Literally from a cameo from the uh, guy that played the original Robin on uh, the the 1970s Batman show. Mm -hmm. He was in it to Brandon Routh reprising his role as Superman from Superman Returns. Uh, that wasn't even a show on CW, actually. That was a movie of its own. Uh-huh. Birds of Prey, which was a show like back in the early 2000s. They focused on some of those characters very briefly, but even like Tom Welling, who actually was the first uh, TV Superman on CW, and he was on Smallville. Smallville, yeah. And so they actually included him mm-hmm. in the whole thing his version of Superman. So looking at all of the different um, different characters, the different times, different styles of TV shows that they've done, all, you know, comic book centric. And then, um, did you do your movie? I have not yet. Um, so I want to definitely shout out a, f- a few movies that I've seen. And I have not seen Jojo Rabbit yet, but I am sure that that will be probably what it up there for me as well. Yeah. Also, if you're hearing dogs, a dog breathing banjo will not leave me alone right now. Um, but I think, you know, Midsummer was amazing. I saw that in theaters that I went with, uh, my friends, uh, Chloe and Alex and, and, um, Andre, and we left that theater shook up. Like we had a very physical reaction to that movie. So, I love that. That that is always something that will get me. Um, Booksmart, which was uh, a really cute film that I think is really 
important in the same vein as as Euphoria is important with LGBTQ characters, young women who are not playing. You know, it's it's basically the last night of high school and they decide that they studied too hard all year and they're going to have a good time and party like their other high school friends. Um, but it kind of reshapes what role females will play in that. And it's not, you know, Emma Stone and super bad, the girl to be desired, or she's someone's girlfriend or she's someone's little sister or whatever. There were just really great roles for women and young girls in this uh, movie that I loved. But I, I kind of want to say, uh, I kind of want to say marriage story might be one uh, of my, you know, such good things about that. yeah. Uh, and- it was, I love, and I watch everything for Adam. Most things I get into, it's because I love Adam Driver so much. Um, but also Laura Dern, um, you know, when I heard those two names, I was like, okay, well, I fucking can't stand Scarlett Johansson, but I will watch this. And, you know, it being on Netflix and not in a theater or, you know, not a movie that we paid for to rent on Amazon or whatever, I was like really surprised by how much I just sat there and absorbed the story. Didn't look at my phone. Dogs were sleeping. Zach was sleeping. I was just sitting there on my couch, just like transfixed by the acting, the writing, how real it is, how sad it is. Cried multiple times. And I just, I just haven't seen something like that, that it's a very simple movie. And it's just about these casts and it's about people in rooms having conversations and that's it. And, but it hooked me and I felt so emotional. And as a child of divorce, I definitely can relate to that. And as, even though I'm, I'm, you know, I love my husband, I'm in a great marriage, but it does kind of highlight the things about relationships that are really tough and God, it was just so good. So I think I'm on the same marriage story for 2019. Well, I'm kind of like browsing back through movies of the year. And I just kind of want to point out one thing before I go into my movie. And the fact that you and I didn't even name um, Game of Thrones as one of our top movies or TV shows of the year. I was going to list it, but then I thought that we, I was going to be like, yeah, you know, Atlanta, Succession, Game of Thrones had its last season. But I still have a bad taste in my mouth about Game of Thrones. Yeah, I'm kind of actually surprised you didn't mention The Mandalorian either because you liked it Ooh, so much. But, I do. Um, I do, but it is, it's as with the Mandalorian because you haven't seen it yet or all of it yet. And because I just got Star Wars into my life, um, I'm not quite sure the way I want to talk about it yet because I don't really know a lot about Star Wars. So I felt like I was just like a passenger and being like, ooh, fun ride, cute baby Yoda. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I had any like feel feels for it. But um, your, your movie is. The movie you saw tonight? 2019 is probably going to be the one, and luckily, this just barely makes it. It does, yeah. 2019, because it was released like the last week of 2019, but 1917. Yeah. What an incredible spectacle of the way people can produce something that holds you in your seat so incredibly intensely like I was like I was texting you I was like I think I had tears in my eyes the entire movie yes and it's not because it was was, there was sad it was a sad scene or something like that but it was so incredibly intense throughout the whole thing the second hour of the movie is 
definitely better than the first, mm-hmm. but overall, and it's all done to be viewed as a movie that's filmed in one shot. Mm-hmm. And it never, there's no cuts. You, there's that's a couple so cool. cuts that you can kind of see. If you look very, very closely, you can, you'll can you notice that there's an edit. But the way that they filmed this movie by doing, you know, 7 to 12 minute takes of one scene and having to wait for the perfect lighting because there was no editing involved. There was barely any CGI involved. Wow. I mean, I think the most CGI that I really noticed was a CGI cow. And uh-huh. that was about it. But other than that, you're following the story of these two two young soldiers in World War One going from their base to try to get to the new German front line and get a note or a, a letter to the general at that front line to tell them to call off um, an attack that they're that they're going to pull that they're planning hmm. on uh, doing on the on the Germans, but which they don't know that the Germans are setting them up hmm. and. I can tell you for sure, like, the last 20 minutes of the movie, I was crying. Mm. I noticed, I noticed, I had to catch myself and tell myself to breathe again. Oh, I love that. It was so intense. Like, I just had my hand over my mouth, and I was just like, what? Not like, what? But it was was a different type of what in my mind. Yeah. So, but I mean, if we went, like, Knives Out was great. Joker, I like. I know you were talking about it earlier and saying you. Did you like it? I feel like you were talking shit about it the last time we were drunk and on the phone talking about movies. I liked. I liked Joker. Okay. Overall, it was. It was definitely a different take on the whole. You know, because it's a comic book character, so it was very, very different. Because mm-hmm. you're used to you're used to these kind of comicized uh, takes of them on TV and movies and all of those different. But this was more of a an exploration of mental health. And it was. And that was, I liked that. And then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I, that was the one movie that I I hated to like, but loved to hate. I was, oh, see, that was the thing, is uh, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I was fine with the movie until the last scene. Uh, spoilers, guys, skip ahead 30 seconds. Um, but I did not like that I thought it was interesting that they didn't that they decided to not go into Sharon Tate's house, but I don't want to see some like the female the female characters in a Quentin Tarantino movie. As a feminist, first of all, I'm nervous going into it, um, and then just to see these men destroy these women, and like not even shoot them, kill them, like you know whatever, but literally destroy these women. And I, I don't know, something sat with me that just did not, that was not great for me personally because of my beliefs. And that is kind of going back to Joker. That is kind okay. of something that I felt when Joker first came out and I didn't see it in the theaters. I just saw it tonight. Um, but when Joker first came out, you know, they were talking about is this dangerous for people with mental health because he is someone who's mentally disturbed, who had a terrible life deserved care, deserved a better life, but Gotham is such a corrupt place that they cut off his meds, they cut off his therapy, and this is what becomes of a true psychopath. And 
Um, my Yeah, so that was kind of problematic for me because I don't think the answer to mental health is to kill or be dangerous. And that, but that, that's all I'm going to say about that. Cause I don't want to be a wet blanket. Um, and then I don't know with Joker, there was just, I feel like it was kind of overplayed and overhyped except for Joaquin, Joaquin, uh, Phoenix's performance. He was yeah. amazing. And it is a delight to see an actor that I have watched in so many movies be so good and transform. Yeah. And then just to watch him still do it is beautiful and amazing but i, I was 100 agree with you on the t- on the fact that it was overhyped yes yes it was, it was not a movie that i was like oh my god you have to watch this what the fuck yeah talking to the person about it and saying like this is a movie that you have to see no it it's not it was a movie that yeah if you want to see it see it get your opinion mm-hmm. you want to see it again cool but mm-hmm. But there was. I have to go back and watch it again. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the movie was going off of Joaquin Phoenix's uh, performance, hoping that that would carry its lack of plot and lack of like we should have gotten to the point where he realizes everything about his life. I feel like we should have gotten there by minute twenty-five. Yeah. Um, the last thirty minutes of the movie are amazing. Truly, like from the minute he starts dyeing his hair green until the last second of the movie, amazing. But I mean, how many times as we've seen, how many times in TV shows and movies have we seen someone who we thought was having a relationship, spoilers guys, skip ahead, who we thought was having a relationship with someone and then it flashes back to like every scene and they're not there. Yeah. It is. I have seen that a thousand times. Todd Phillips, like, come on. Kind of happy I didn't watch this that particular movie Joker with Eric because Eric's so good at calling yeah everything before it even happens and and sometimes know, I'm not the best at that but I did it fast <laughs> yeah by like 15 minutes it would have been ruined I'm I'm the type of person that I just kind of roll with it like I mm-hmm. don't really go out of my way to overly think of the movie and like try yeah. to figure it out. The first second. I don't either. Like, and, if and if I like it good enough and I don't see these certain things coming, like I'll go back and watch it and then I'll be like, oh, okay, I see mm-hmm. where someone could have gathered how that was going to be the outcome yeah. of what's going on. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I can't, I think we can say whether or not, like with Star Wars and stuff like that, the, and films that get really, really hyped is that I don't think anything that got hyped this year, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and stuff, I don't think anything got hyped because it didn't deserve it. I just, there is really good work being done in these movies. It's just when they leave it up to us, it kind of like either you should have left more of the story up to the viewer and our imagination, or, you know, it. I, I don't know, but... Yeah, I think we did get a lot of amazing performances this year. If you look at the movies like uh, like Star Wars, the last one that came out just came out. Uh huh. And it's got it's got a, quite a low rating mm-hmm. for Star Wars movie. Like it's. I uh, loved it, by the way. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I, know, I, I feel like that's it's one of those movies that you just don't love or hate. Thing. Yeah. Like, people are going to really, really enjoy it, or people are going to go in and just be like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Like, I think. I, 
because it, yeah, and I think because it was the last movie, it was a lot of J.J. Um, Abrams saying to, like Zach was talking about this and a couple other, you know, Star Wars people who I know who'd been watching it for a long time, love it, but, you know, still enjoyed the movie. But their complaint was like, don't over explain the force to me, you know, like don't explain things that are supposed to be at an arm's distance. We're not supposed to understand it. We're just supposed to respect that it's there. Like once you start putting detailed definitions on things and saying, no, this is it. This is who they are. And this is what they have. And this is how they do it. Then it's, you know, it's a little, it's a little troublesome when you get into that Avenue, but yeah, um, an amazing fucking year of content. I really hope that 2020 can match up to it. And I think, I think that it will. And now we have all these new streaming services and yeah, we're definitely going to get a lot more good stuff, but 2019, Fuck, fucked up year for our personal lives. Great year for <laughs> television. Completely fucked up year for the personal life. But great what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I had to go through some shit this year, but I w- had a unlimited films and TV to watch, so it was great. Thank you. Thank you, Disney Goose. All right. Well, that is awesome. We're going to wrap it up there and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the Watchmen finale, which was the best show of 2019. Yay. Okay. We'll be right. (laughs) Okay. Welcome back. So we're going to talk about the best show that we have seen in a really, really long time. We've been recapping it really invested in it and we got the finale a few weeks ago and it was awesome and also we are going to talk about Watchmen as you and I are going to kind of talk about this as a show that probably will not have a second season so we're going to talk about it not there will be no predicting of like where these characters can go it's kind of like we just saw a movie like a a nine hour movie basically. So I want to just start out by saying that everybody knows this. I love Damon Lindelof. He made lost, he made the leftovers. Um, And I've been doing kind of like a deep dive into some of the podcasts, like the watch and um, the vulture podcast, just listening to him being interviewed by critics and his peers um, about Watchmen, and then I kind of went back earlier and find, found um, podcasts about Leftovers and what critics used to think about that. And I think one of the things that is definitely my favorite thing about this show is the Damon Lindelof style of nonlinear to- storytelling and the world building that he's doing. Because this is not a this is present day. They say 2019 a bunch in this, but um, it is present day. But it is not our world. It is not our history. Um, the Black Wall Street massacre of 1921. Uh, Robert Redford has been president for what 20 years yeah. or something. Came up with reparations, Redfordations. Um, Adrian Veidt is releasing squids into our atmosphere. So every once in a while, squids are going to rain down from the sky. And um, Lady True has, you know, like when we were talking about the cars, they all sound like souped up Teslas. That's because they're, you know, the true uh, fucking car batteries or whatever. Like everything is just in the future, a few steps 
but also still very much our world. And one of the things that he does the best is even though there was the Wall Street massacre, the giant squid in 1985 put down in Manhattan and, you know, all of this like post-apocalyptic kind of scenarios that we have here, these are still stories about people and their lives, families, co-workers, marriage. That is what he does so well that, you know, even in Lost, when they dropped everybody on an island, they still resorted to being people and having yeah. a community. In The Leftovers is kind of the same thing. Three 4% of the population, which is about 3 million people or so, disappeared, vanished with no explanation. So crazy serious things have happened but these characters are human and honest in a way that is very emotional like I feel and I love I am an emotional person <laughs> like to, to begin with but then all I ever feel is the human side of things and the heart in his story I don't care about Watchmen the comics I don't care about masked vigilantes I realized that watching this that that's not what I really care about and it's it's just I just want to take a minute just to say that I fucking love his world and I'm again sad that there isn't going to be a season two because now we're going to have to wait two or three years before I get another show of his but I've been re-watching my favorite episodes of The Leftovers re-watching Watchmen um I was about to start watching Lost but I really want to do that when you and I are going to do it at the same time for the pod so we'll save it but his yeah. style just mesmerizes me. So thank you for coming to my TED Talk about Damon Lindelof. And Evan, how did you feel <laughs> about the world building? Uh, it was absolutely incredible because all it just did was really kind of suck you in. And for getting 10 episodes with these characters, and the one in particular that I have that I loved the most was Lori. Yeah. Um, being a character that kind of truly originated from the source material of the comics Mm -hmm. and her connection to the original quote-unquote Watchmen Mm -hmm. uh, and just being smart and just being smart and being smart no matter what she does between literally from like designing women to fucking comedy from like the early 90s Mm -hmm. to you know um, Fargo uh, to Fargo to Legion yeah to Watchmen. She's so good to watch, and her kid, this character was so awesome for mm-hmm. her. The sarcasm. The wit. Like, She's got a freaking sharp tongue and the quickest yeah. wit you've ever known. Yeah, and you're, she's, she's one, that character was one to, you know, verbally go to battle with. It was great to watch the exchanges of <laughs> uh, Angela, Angela and Lori. Yeah. And it just it just produced a great fucking show. And, yeah. You know, we were talking last night, and with David Lindelof, you get such a treat when you get to watch something that he has put together because he does such an incredible job. Like mm-hmm. it's something that we're not going to see very often. It's only going to happen three or four times in our lifetime. You know, we so have true. lost. Mm-hmm. We have you know quote-unquote, a bunch of favorite shows, mm-hmm. comes down to it, when it boils down to it, you're going to have, like, three or four of the sh- those shows that truly stick in your mind over the course of 
you know, of your lifetime. And we've got a couple of them, and uh, most of them are from him. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just great to get to experience that. I think he's up there with Vince Gilligan, and... I think he's up there with Matthew Weiner and um, uh, oh, I'm forgetting the guy who created Sopranos and uh, Boardwalk Empire, but he's just, he's so up there with a, a person with a style who just dedicates himself to everything that he Anywho, and just the style of the show is that you know that it is all absorbed in their brain. Like these guys are such geniuses. They must never sleep, you know, <laughs> like they must be constantly just so engrossed. Yeah. In what they're doing. And that is one of the things that, you know, with Damon Lindelof is in with leftover season, because he will always be compared. All of his shows will always be compared to lost and especially in their ending. Um, but just something that I know that he does is is he only makes shows if it feels right. Because after season two of The Leftovers, there are three seasons. But after season two, he was told by HBO, what do you want to do? It could go any way. You can make one more. But season two is almost designed like it could just end there and you would be okay with it. Not like with Deadwood where it just stopped, you know, or other shows like that. But I would be like, okay. That's two seasons good, but he listened to critics and he listened to his staff and he just decided I'm not done yet. And I'm going to give it one more season, huge risk, huge fucking leap. And season three came back when, uh, in game of Thrones old, uh, spot in April. That's when game of Thrones premiered in July that year. Um, but you know, he just gives it his all. So when I'm listening in the past few weeks since Watchmen's wrapped and people have been asking him, is there going to be a season two or what is going on? He's just like, I did everything I, I wanted to do. I put my heart and soul in this and I put it into, and with, with also the kind of, you know, not feeling like it was his story to tell because Watchmen is Watchmen. It's a comic. It means things to fans. He's, you know, very polite and acknowledging that he doesn't want to fuck things up for people. And um, the Black Wall Street massacre and everything we deal with with race, he's like, as a white, you know, producer, he's like, I don't think that this is my story to be told or my story to tell, but I have to do it. So I think he, he put the gloves on and then he took the gloves off. And that's definitely what we're seeing. And yeah as much of a bummer as it was when we were coming right off of that finale in the few days afterwards to hear that. But I think, you know, the same thing with Vince Gilligan, when he says, I'm going to give you one more and I'm going to do El Camino, we sit up and we go, okay, shit. Thank you. You know, like if you're going to do that, we're so like lucky to have you be able to do that. And we know that he's going to deliver because he wouldn't just shit on a show that he spent, you know, five years of his life making. So I think, it's just you and I were talking about like the nobility of like these directors and he's just not that person who's gonna, you know, go, okay, sure. I'll make shameless season 10, you know? Yeah. He's not going to do it without it being done the right way. Exactly. I think think this was the ending to Watchmen that we got and, you know, comparing that to the ending of Lost. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of 
was that? Always going to be, yeah. It's probably going to be one of our favorite shows. Mm-hmm. But this, I think, like, it ended so perfectly by just giving you a little taste of what could be. But then when you, when you came out and said, you know, we're not going to, we're most likely not going to do a second season. Yeah. I was like, okay, that ending little fit. Yes. But we didn't. You can walk away from that and take that little taste and be like, okay, so we're not gonna, we're not gonna get anything post this, but I'm still pleased by it, the way that it ended. Mm-hmm. And I'm not that's not gonna change my opinion just knowing that there's not gonna be a season two. Absolutely like, not. Did a great job. Did what he, like you said set out to do the way he wanted to do it, and didn't overindulge himself or make it this huge grandiose thing. It was. Amazing. I mean, yeah. you got, like you said, Gene Smart, Tim Blake Nelson, um, uh, Regina King, uh, Louis Gossett Jr. Mm-hmm. Like, you have some great people on a great show, and you did a great fucking job. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you made people happy. It was maybe, Maybe, here's the thing, here's the thought. Going back to Game of Thrones... And the way that Game of Thrones ended, okay, that's what I'm coming to. But for for Watchmen, because we're going to compare these two styles, we're gonna we're not going to get mad about Game of Thrones. We're just going to compare these two styles of even though he wasn't solely responsible for Lost, it was a lot of J.J. Um, Abrams and Carlton Cuse. But imagine that he's thinking in his head, I can't lost this show. You know, I can't leave people in a shitty spot. So what he did for Leftovers was the exact same thing he did for Watchmen, where we see her foot about to hit the water. We want to know, has Angela become Dr. Manhattan? Does she have his powers? Guess what? We're not going to know. Direct cutaway to the credits. Perfect. The Leftovers is a monologue by the main character explaining where she went, why she was there, and it's up to the viewer to believe whether or not that is true. Perfect. I think he's making up for Lost in in a, in a Freudian slip kind of way. But also, hold on, I'm going to cough. <laughs> Sorry. Um, with Game of Thrones, with Benioff and Weiss, they didn't fucking care. They didn't care. And we knew. And it was there. Like, and it's like, I don't need the director or the showrunner to like crawl on broken glass over to me to deliver the finale. But we could tell that they were just like, wrap it up, wrap it up, you know, like that. I really felt that. And I appreciate the care and the tenderness that Lindelof and fucking Vince Gilligan and all these amazing and Matthew Weiner and all these great showrunners give us, which is just like, I'm going to wrap it up for you. And then there you go. Use your imagination. Perfect. Yeah. And you, I'm sorry, I kind of like lost it for a second. When you were talking about the showrunners crawling over glass, were you talking about Benioff and Weiss with uh, Game of Thrones? Well, I'm talking about basically what Lindelof and like other people do is just be like, I killed myself for six years of my life to oh. give you this show. Benioff and Weiss were just like, uh, yeah, let's just like write the script and make the cast read it at the table and everybody knows everything. And that's why the fucking acting sucked. That's why the performances were lacking because just as we were talking about with Cal is Dr. Manhattan, you know, like we were talking about that, how he waited to tell him 
that he was Dr. Manhattan. And that is something that Benioff and Weiss should have done with uh, Daenerys and Jon Snow, which was pull them aside and say, hey, we're not going to read that part at the table read. I just want you to know she dies. You, The dragon burns down the Iron Throne and Jon Snow lives and then he gets sent away. Prepare yourself as an artist, as an actor, prepare yourself with everything that you've done for the last five years and or, you know, longer. Sorry, 10 years. And give us a good performance. And they just didn't do that. And I'm just so happy that not since that since not since Game of Thrones aired, have I been uh, really bitchy and like feeling disrespected by a show. Yeah. You know, like even, even if it's just a season finale and not like a yeah. series finale and stuff. Well, this is, and, and with Watchmen, you know, it was, when go off telling the story, fan service in another hand, because I, I can only imagine what people that have fully read the original graphic novels were thinking when this was coming out. Cause I wasn't sure what to think of it when it was coming out until it started, until it was getting much closer to it, the actual release. Did I even realize that it was a sequel mm-hmm. to the story? Mm-hmm, I, was mm-hmm. like, I was like, okay, cool. We got the fucking Zack Snyder bullshit Watchmen movie. Yeah. Three hours of my life that I will never get back again. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was like, cool, slow-mo fight scenes. We saw that in, the, in 1999 with Matrix. Sin City. Done. Yeah. Sin City. Sin City, I still, I still actually kind of like the first one. No, I'm saying, like, they they ripped off of all, he, they ripped Watchmen off of all these movies that came before it. Yeah. And then they're like, look, we made a superhero movie. And like you were saying, slow motion, sexy girls, yeah. and like old style hairdos. And, you know, the man is the man. Every guy yeah. in this fucking cast is a badass. And it's just like, okay, great. Well, if Lube Man had been in the movie, the movie might have been more interesting. Yay, Lube Man! I love Lube Man. Lube Man. I, was, I was not expecting to ever find out. Again, thank you, Damon Lindelof. I was never expecting to find out who Lube Man was, but every time I watch Watchmen, I'm going to go, ha Lube Man. Like, I love that guy. Yeah. That guy's awesome. <laughs> Just chuckle to yourself and laugh when she goes, what the fuck? What she's always <laughs> ever doing. If I ever become a superhero, that's going to be my moniker. I'm gonna yeah, be lube, man. lube man. And you're skinny enough to fit into that suit too. I probably. Well, I, mean, I mean, I don't think you could fit through a sewer grate, or. <laughs> but you could. You would look great in a shiny latex suit. Um. So. <laughs> Halloween 2020. Yeah, exactly. I got my 2020 body going. Um. So going away from world building. Let's take a little break and then we will come back and we're going to talk about favorite characters and just favorite scenes of the actual show. So Uh, we will be right back. Cool. So coming back, we're going to talk about favorite characters, favorite storylines and, um, like I said, like I was saying before, and we, when we did the recap of A God Walks Into a Bar, I mean, I really, that was my, besides Lori's episode, that was my favorite episode. And probably one of the best episodes of television I watched all year long. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, I am here all day for Regina King. Her, I was as I was going back and watching Leftovers and stuff, she's in season two and an episode of season three. 
Um, but her character has a lot of similarities and I feel like she is very comfortable within the writing of Damon Lindelof and in the, the woman that she's trying to portray. Um, and I was loving, loving, loving Angela the whole way. But then once we find out that Cal is Dr. Manhattan, that she implanted his memory eraser into his head and they did it for themselves. They did it for their relationship. I mean, there, it just the whole conversation of, you know, we're going to be like, if somebody came up to you and said, we're going to, I can tell the future and we're going to be together for 10 years. You know, it was done so realistically yet. Like it was such a, you know, it's only something that you would, a love story you would see in television or movies. Um, what were you, what were your kind of like favorite dynamics of their relationship? Um, just the fact that she was like purely not just the love of his life, but the biggest protector of his life. Yeah. And defending, keeping it a secret. And, you know, like you were pointing out, if you go back and you watch it from the beginning, you can definitely see little things that would have been hints to the fact that that, that Cal was actually to Manhattan. Mm-hmm. But the fact she, like, stood up for him, and, you know, even when, like, Lori would poke or prod and kind of, like, you know, push buttons and mention the accident yeah, and all of that stuff, and she didn't budge. Uh-uh. She did not budge because she was her, his true protector and cared for him till the very end and ultimately became him. Well, we think. Yes. But maybe. Was- Maybe. <laughs> in okay, well, quick quickly, do you in your mind, in what you as your own personal viewer, what do you think if it play as it played out in your head, because we all get to do that with a show that ends this way, do you think she is him? I think so. I think that's what I am hoping. I think of it two ways, which would be funny and and if she fell into the pool that she didn't walk on water and that she just fell into the pool, came back up and went motherfucker. And then just went, okay, just going to go on with my life anyway. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that would have been very fitting for the character yes, as well. Yes. But I, Oh man. And we said we weren't going to, or I said we weren't going to do this, but I could see her using his powers for good, you know, yeah. for every thing that she has learned through uh, taking her father or her grandfather's nostalgia pills through all of the adversity that they have faced as black Americans. And I just, I, I, yes, I definitely think that she could have done it and been him for sure. But yeah, like you said, the the protection aspect of it is amazing because it kind of goes into relationship and you and I are both in relationships and we've been with our partners for many, many, many years and are basically married. Um, but I think the protection and just that what that represented to me that she knows Dr. Manhattan is kind of in relationships where no one is ever going to know your husband except for you. No one it can see you behind closed doors. No one knows what you go through on, you know, well, you kind of know, and I kind of know because we're best friends, but, you know, to the outside public and stuff, no one knows what you do in a relationship and the intimacy. 
of your relationship. And a lot of what you do is protect that person because you love them and you understand them more than anybody else ever could. And that is why they are your partner. And there were just so many tokens of, of what we go through in relationships and things like that. I mean, I don't have kids and neither do you, but I remember when we've got, yeah, we have puppies. Um, they just can't talk back to us and we won't take them to school. But basically I think one of the, one of the things where I stood out and said, Cal is very peculiar is when they were talking about Judd being dead and Cal is making them waffle or making them waffles or was it pancakes? Ooh, waffles. And a vote for waffles as well. Okay. We're going for waffles because again, we're, when she broke the egg, she pulled yeah. the eggs down and that one egg remained because that was the egg that was him. Um, but when he's just cooking for the kids and then he turns over, walks up to the table and goes, he's just gone. And before he was here, he was nothing. And now that he's dead, he is nothing. And I was just like, Cal, what? You're kind of a crazy guy. <laughs> like, I remember like just it being planted so perfectly that we kind of did a double take on Cal, but went, never mind, just keep focusing. Look, look over here. Don't look over there. Look over here. And I really, and I really love that. And I mean, just knowing that he is, was a great father, but you're very right in the, the protective aspect because she has the most powerful thing in the world locked away basically in her house. Yeah. And inside of it is the man that she loves. And I just think that that, is such a, we've been so absorbed by Marvel and, you know, every, all of these comic book stuff. And you just, I think that's just the characters kind of stepping outside of a basic comic book kind of narrative and being like real and being their most human selves. And yeah. And it's for love and they do it because they love each other. Oh, I know. And that, and that was what was keeping me going through um, the finale when, you know, Cal gets taken away and he's in that box that they designed. Were you just freaking out for him the whole time? Because Angela's right there. What do you mean? What do you mean by with that question? Because he was trapped and he's told us that it is going to end badly. And he's telling her over and over again, this is it. And, you know, uh, uh, oh my God, I totally forgot that guy's name who, oh shit. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, the set, the mayor basically who kidnapped Lori. Um, and he's basically, you know, as he's undressing and getting into his Dr. Manhattan underwear, um, <laughs> it's like a high hip speedo um but he's basically saying i'm gonna destroy you i've got you i'm gonna destroy you and she's sitting right there and as a as a woman i i can only think of like the worst thing i could ever see in my life would be to see my partner being killed in front of me like to to get really dark and morbid there for a second like i would do not want to see my dogs die in front of me i don't want to see anybody i know die in front of me but especially my partner and it was yeah. just so scary wondering if she was going to be able to save him or what was going to happen to him. And it was heartbreaking. 
I mean, I'm still completely lost on this question for some reason. Um, he, well, yeah. I mean, it's not like a, it's not like a crazy, yeah, it's not a, like a crazy question that you have to, I should have phrased it better, but it was just, I think once we went into the finale after a God walks into a bar, the stakes were so high for Angela and Cal. And yeah. at, at the end, you know, he's trans, he's taken into their machine and transported, <laughs> you know, into the arms or into the hands of the bad guys. It was well, I didn't, definitely didn't think he was going to die. Like it wasn't, it wasn't going there because there was too much, even for, that was the penultimate episode or was the, the, the second to last? That was, yeah, A Gotta Box Into a Bar was the penultimate, yeah. The penultimate, okay, so there was, even being the penultimate episode, there was still too much story to finish with him becoming a dead character. Mm-hmm. And um, I did, like you said, the uh, Dr. Manhattan panties, um, I loved the fact that they tried, that he tried so hard and just became a giant smoldering uh, fucking puddle of blood and, and goop and just yeah. evaporate. Oh, that was so, that was great. I love that. That she's just like, you can't time jump unless you do this, this or that. What are you thinking? And then she like opens the door and it's just like, and oh. Was that a, was that a lady true impersonation? Because you did a really good job actually. I think so. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> she, well, she just talks like she knows better than you. Um, she's elitist. <laughs> and I guess for some reason I can do that voice. Go on. But, keep going with what you're um, saying. Yeah, no, I. that's pretty much all I have to add on that one. Yeah. Was, it was just, I wasn't concerned because when I when we saw him get teleported, we had kind of an idea of what was going on. That's true. And what the seven cavalry was going to do with him, so we, I knew that he wasn't going to be dead. Mm-hmm. But could he, could he have possibly not been in, like, his human form anymore and, like, kind of trapped maybe in an even smaller box? Mm-hmm. Like just as articles or something. Um, yeah, that totally could have happened, but I, it's, it, there was too much story to flush out still. That's true. Have been like, overly concerned about Cal as an individual. Or not yeah. Or individual. Yeah. Because we, I feel like we were, I, I was very hyper-focused on who, where is he and who is he? And, yeah. you know, like kind of, not like I, I, I don't think besides Lori and Looking Glass, we didn't get that many Watchmen real characters or like token characters. So I, I guess I was just like really like high stakes, like where is Dr. Manhattan? What is going on with him? Really the only three characters that we got from the true Watchmen, uh, well, four. Um, Put it Justice. Mm-hmm. Um, Lori herself. Mm-hmm. And uh, Adrian Vite, and then Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Those are the only ones that we got real. Those are the only real characters from the comic book. Yeah. So I think we were looking for a really long time of like, who is he? Where is he? How is he going to fit in to all of this? And then to find out that he is, he's with our favorite character, basically our avatar into this world. And 
he's been right there all along. I just, I really love that. And I love that reveal. I love their relationship and I like how hard they fought for each other. I think from Angela, her character going through, you know, losing her part, losing someone that she really loves in the first episode of the season. And then to all of the flashbacks that we get about her and she's an orphan and she's alone in the world. And she finally falls in love with this man who truly, truly loves her, who will do anything to be with her. We finally just get something good for her other than she's really cool to step up and adopt these kids. And she's a great cop, you know, like it, it just, it just, I'm glad that they saved that for the end. And that really just spoke to me, but let's also talk about, um, I think the last time we recorded, we were talking about how great we thought Lady True was. And we're like, isn't she awesome? <laughs> yeah. She's, well, like you said, like, from the way she talks. Yeah. Like, she's very, like, all-knowing, all-seeing. Uh-huh. Like, I, I, you don't know shit. I know everything. Uh-huh. And that was one of the things I liked most about her character. And um, I am very happy about the fact that I, we slash I called that Adrian Veidt was in the statue. You, yes, but, yes, um, yes. Spell that out because that that was us. That was us theorizing. That's right. Fucking right. Your two we favorite best friends, friends theorizing about we shows. Sometimes yeah. we're right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just getting you know, Lady True. We got introduced to her in uh, what episode three? Mm-hmm. Um, and which you know kind oh. of gave us the whole chicken and the egg question the yes. egg was you know we all know was a running theme throughout mm-hmm. the whole show throughout so, the whole show a signature if you will I don't even know what the actress's name is but she did a damn good job she did amazing yeah and I I, I loved her connection to Adrian Veidt because this whole time we've been wondering where he is when he is how long has he, has he actually been there? And we've been getting um, more and more development through all of that. But to watch him leave and just, you know, for her to just be like, I'm coming to get you. And for him to say, and maybe this, you know, stood out to me because I have problems with my father. Um, but the fact that he said, I'm not having kids. I'm never going to have kids. And she's like, just kidding. My mom stole your semen and now she's pregnant with me. And he goes, I will never call you daughter. Yeah. And then what does he do? Calls your daughter at the end, doesn't he? He basically, well, he spells out, he spells it out at an exact oh, time. Yeah. yeah. Save me daughter. Yeah. Save me daughter, which I th- was thinking um, when he first laid out the bodies on your rope or on the, distant moon of Europa that he was spelling save me doctor or save me doctor Manhattan because we hadn't gotten the cow reveal yet. Um, but to see that it's save me daughter in this time loop that she created and that they're, they are equals in so many ways. He thinks he's the, he is probably one of the most smart, smartest people on the planet, but he always thinks he's the only one. And then he truly meets his match with her. Yeah, I think in certain ways she probably ended up being smarter than he was. Definitely. But then shooting herself in the foot too, because she lost at the end anyways. Yes. Spoiler. Well, no, no spoilers. You should be watching Watchmen by now. Yeah. Um, 
But I think, yeah, I definitely that you called the statue and then did I call that it was his daughter? I feel like I called I that. Did. Yeah. I okay. Like, I feel like you did. Yes. Oh, because I got there before Zach. So I think I was yeah. probably really proud of myself. Um, but yeah, that I was just like, there's something to her that it's something with her business and taking on everything. It's not just like a fascination with a hero or something. It's almost something you do with lineage and yeah, you do as a bought, child, as someone. Yeah. His company, the second he disappeared, like mm-hmm. he was like, boom, done, mine, cool. Yes. And Lori, Lori went out of her way to point that out in one of the episodes. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, and that he was old, you know, and she's like, why is he so old? And it's because he, she sends for the spaceship. Hold on, I'm going to cough again. <clears throat> Excuse me. She sends for the spaceship to meet him at that exact time. And then in order for him to travel and get out of Europa or whatever, he has to put his hands on his hips <laughs> and yeah. then be covered in gold. And then they do like a Han Solo where they're like taking him out of the, carbon whatever and it's like there he is and that is his age and that was so fun like that I loved watching that after you had called that that was great I was just like I was so stoked I yeah. was just like yes we did it again what we, did it again. <laughs> we are so good we've done it in Lost we did it yeah. in Lost we've done it in other yeah. shows we did it in Game of Thrones a little bit um <laughs> but I felt like I felt like we got there without I wasn't even trying. I wasn't even like reaching and like reading into things the way that we used to like research for Game of Thrones and stuff. But no, it, was, it was just like via conversation. Yeah. Between the two of us. Like, yeah. We'd be like, oh, oh my gosh, what if this was. Sometimes this? stories that, that. can be so well written that mm-hmm. you can just let. Ugh, see, that is why Damon Lenoff is the best. Anyway, anywho, um, how did you feel about. Adrian Veidt being arrested at the end. Was that ending with, um, oh my God, Lori and Looking Glass and Adrian Veidt? Like, did you feel like that was a nice little like nod to Watchmen or were you expecting that at all? I feel like it was what it was always going to boil down to. <gasps> he was honestly, on, he was obviously already kind of like, quote unquote, on the run, just hidden in Antarctica where nobody wants to go anyways. True. So, he was going to be sick yeah. with, all of, with all this shit. And then he's secluded on a fucking planet that no one knows even exists. Right. And he was miserable there. And he was killing his servants left and right. And, you know, just like eating his birthday cake over and over and over again and enjoying horseshoes. Mm-hmm. But um, I feel like that's where it, sh- it should have ended there. But that's where it should have ended in the comic book. I feel like that was kind of um, a nod from Damon Lindelof towards the comics as like this is the this is where Adrian Veidt was always going to end up hmm. in cuffs yeah like he murdered three million people or whatever and yes was it to try to accomplish something good but still murdered a bunch of people and three million is a lot so that's true yeah probably where you're supposed to be and for, for Lori to get that I think that was kind of an an ultimate payoff for her character too, because um, he's kind of uh, he was the adversary to her. That's like, yes. That's oh my was, god! I was gonna say that. They were fighting okay. him in the in the original graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Like he was the he was the villain. 
So for her to put him in the handcuffs and send him to jail, like that's her, that's an ultimate payoff for her character too. Yeah, long term. Again, makes it a great ending by Lindelof because it's wrapped up so well that if they don't do a second season, it's fine because they wrapped it up. They gave us something great and we called it a day. We got nine weeks of ten, nine weeks of great TV. Mm-hmm. Great storytelling. Oh, and that is, and that was another thing too, is that we were going in all these random directions and new information was being added to us after, um, Angela took the nostalgia after a lot of revelations by Lady True and who Judd really was and the Crawfords and the Seventh Cavalry, the bottle episodes with uh, Looking Glass and stuff like we got, you know, to get these like really good pieces of a puzzle, like you're nine, you're like 80% through the puzzle. But the most important questions that we have about these characters, whether whether it's will they live or die, will they remember each other, will they do what they feel like their purpose is, it just gets all wrapped up. Like through that last 30 minutes, once you they take Dr. Manhattan and Angela and everybody is and the, you know, the white supremacists and stuff and everybody is there in that like town square he is just sealing, like wrapping gifts, just putting everything like in a nice little box with a nice little bow. And there you go. And I was like, that is amazing. Plot point after plot point, just being explained and not overly explained and not even stretched. There was no stretch. I never, ever felt like I had to suspend my disbelief once for this show, but this show was constantly blowing my mind. So it's great. I'm so you're right. We, will not have a show like this for a really, really long time. And, you know, we're just, I'm glad that this came out this year. This was a great palate cleanser after game of Thrones. And I'm, it was fun that you guys, thank you for listening to us recap it. It's it's hard to recap. when We don't know what's going on. Well, there's so much. And it's so, it can get so complicated at times, but Mm -hmm. you know, you, we break down what we can and, we examine what we can. But we're just left with questions at the end of the day. Give us season two, David Lindelof. Give us season two. Please! Oh, or give us a brand new show in like a year. Hurry. Yeah, Do it now. Now, please. <laughs> that would be amazing. Well, Evan, thank you for recapping this with me. Um, before we go, let's talk about... We have a couple minutes left. Let's talk about shows that we would like to cover in 2020. It's the second year of our podcast. It's going to be amazing. Um, definitely, as we were talking about earlier, Servant. Once that is over, you and I are just going to rewatch the fuck out of it until we understand it. We're going to chat and we're going to bring you a whole episode about the first season. Also, The Outsider. Oh, yes. Yes. There is a... There is a new trailer for it on HBO that is, I think this is like the third trailer that we've gotten um, that's showing us some more things. And this has True Detective written all over it. So, yeah, we definitely could do The Outsider. We could, you know, do a, a season of True Detective as well. Um, yeah. And I think going forward, I think you and I definitely want to focus more on um, deep dives into shows that we really, really know. And 
yeah, just yeah. shows that I could recite lines off the top of my head. And we want to give you uh, good information <laughs> and thought out information instead of reactions to things, which we've been doing a lot of this year since Game of Thrones. Well, we're just starting. We're, we're fresh, baby. We're fresh, we're fresh. podcast babies. We're, we're baby Yoda podcast babies. Oh, yeah. We're, we're 50, like- but we're somehow also infants. <laughs> and, yeah, there's going to be a lot to look forward to. So, Evan, thank you so much for podcasting me with me this year. I really don't think I would have been able to do this without you. And oh, you have, but it was a pleasure to be here with you. And you are my constant. You are my best friend in the entire world. And you guys, thank you so much to listening to our recap of Watchmen and everything we did in 2019. We really appreciate it. And 2020, here we go. It's going to be great. Yeah. Evan, I love you. And we will. Love you. I will talk to you soon. Bye. 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 Yay.